0: Good morning everybody and welcome. Today we're going to be learning chapter 132 from the Kittur Shulchan the procedure of Yom Kippur night. And before we start that, I'd like to talk about the Kol Nidre, which will be a big focus here. And share with you the initial source for Kol Nidre. Let's, uh, let's uh, welcome in Tim. Good morning. Good morning. So what is the original source, what is the first source that we have for the Kal Nidre. We look in the Gemara Tractate Nedarim the tractate about vows and oaths on page Chaf Gim Olamud Be'ez 23 side B and Actually, no. Come, come. Join us. 23 side B. And the Gemara says that one who wants that his vows or his oaths should not be fulfilled, they should not be um, needed to be completed throughout the entire year, that his vows should not be substantiated, they shouldn't be something he needs, th- real. What does the Gemara say? Yamod B'Rosh he should stand up on Rosh Hashanah. The Yomar, he should say, Kol nether shaniyasa, lidar, any vow that I will in the future make ye Is as of now, null, and void. Okay, So the Gemara 23b in, in the Dharam tells us, that someone who wants to make sure that his vows should not take effect he should, say on, he should say on Rosh Hashanah that any vow that I will make in the future is null and void. Isaac will share with me. Let's give a kitter to Tim. Oy. So Tosfos comes and asks the obvious question. What's the obvious question? Yosef or Tim, can you tell me the obvious question from the Gemara? I would imagine the question would be, "Are we okay with becoming liars?" Well, is it a lie if you say something, but we say that it's not a, it's not a effective word? Is that a lie? I guess if the person to whom you say such a vow doesn't know that in advance. Ah. Okay, the Gemara talks about If you're talking to other people, we're, we're not talking about such a story. Up, we're God. talking about a story between you and Hashem. Uh-huh. Yes, thank you very much. I, I just cut in middle. Um, yes, yes, yes. The Gemara, the Gemara is extensive about that. But um, if one takes a vow and says every night I'm going to stay up until 12 learning Torah, which is a holy vow, but it's something that's not really feasible for him. So we're saying, in effect, that any vow that you took will not take effect. Now, so we do, we remove our vows from the past year on Erev Rosh Hashanah, Hatara Senzarah. But really the main time that we talk about the future is on Yom Kippur. The Gemara says that on Rosh Hashanah you should remove, you should say Kol Nidrei. Kol Nidrei is all about removing vows. The Gemara says to do it on Rosh Hashanah. And yet we do it right before Yom Kippur. We also do it on Rosh Hashanah. Tell me where. Uh, do, do we do a little Nevar in the before, after uh, Shachar's? The eve of Rosh Hashanah, prior to Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah right yes. and uh, yes. However, the main item is on the eve of Yom Kippur. Hmm. It looks like we got the Gemara wrong. seemingly. So comes Tosh and he says that the Afal Gav to Omid to omid Adam Barosh Hashanah even though the Gemara says you should do this on Rosh Hashanah. The anan be Yomaki purmavdinan and we do it on Yom Kippur. How could that be? So Ashkihan Yom Hakipurim the Ak Ikre Rosh Hashanah. We find Yom Kippur is called Rosh Hashanah. Where do we find this? In the book of that the Tanakh tells us the Rosh Hashanah, this is the quote, on Rosh Hashanah, in Yechiskul, on Rosh Hashanah, what day of Rosh Hashanah? On the tenth day. On Rosh Hashanah, on the tenth day. Obviously, that's referring to Yom Kippur. The Amru, and we say the Yom of the Yovel was referring to the Yom Kippur of the Jubilee. The Od and additionally, some Samukh the Rosh Hashanah. The Gemara is saying you should do it near Rosh Hashanah. So the eve of Yom Kippur is relatively, with 365 years, close to Rosh Hashanah. Okay, nonetheless comes, the, comes of course, the question. What's the, leading, what's the continuing question then? If it's talking about Yom Kippur, yes, Rosh Hashanah may be able to refer to Yom Kippur to say it clearly. Why do you need to confuse me? Well, sorry, let me rephrase it. If it says Rosh Hashanah, so let's do it on Rosh Hashanah. Why are we doing it on Yom Kippur? Yes, you could tell me Yom Kippur, ref, Rosh Hashanah. Ref, yes, you can. But let's. Why are we doing it on Yom Kippur? So Tosfos gives t- two answers. ulekach tiknuhu porim This is the reason why we did it. Lomar tefei mishum porim pato mikol Being on Yom Kippur, you can't do almost anything, even eating and drinking, and the Ika kinufiyah, tuva, and additionally there's a much greater gathering. More people come to shul on Yom Kippur than on Rosh Hashanah, and therefore for these two reasons, both because you're more focused on the prayer, it's more, there's not much you could do that day aside for, pray and think about what you're saying and second of all because there's a bigger gathering we do it on Yom Kippur. Okay, so we have the original source of Kol Nidre is back is goes back to the Gemara. and it tells us clearly that you should say Kol Nidre well, whether on, the, on Rosh Hashanah or on the eve of Yom Kippur. Let's jump in and learn about the customs of Kol Nidre. They're extremely special and and uh, and holy. We have not learned this together. The Gimel Amat Beis Okay Chapter 132 The first section In these countries it is customary That before Kol Nidre The head of the congregation Removes the Sefer Torah From the Aron Kodesh And circles the Bima with it So Before Kol Nidre There's something even greater that we do What do we do? Before Kol Nidre, we actually allow all the sinners to join us in prayer. There's a special prayer we say that says, that we we are going to include in this prayer every Jew, no matter what. Even those that traditionally should not be in synagogue because they've done something so drastic. Today, everybody should join us. Now, to do such a thing, you need a betin. You need a court of three people. So how are we going to get that bet in? Anyone familiar with this? It happens every year. Is, is there anything that happens by Kol Nidre that strikes your mind that maybe? Three people holding sefer Torah. Three people. You'll see that there's three people up at the front. Not always are they all going to hold sefer Torah. Um, we will see inside in the kitzur. He's going to say the person on the right and left should hold the sefer Torah. The chazan not necessarily. But you're going to see three people and they're holding a sefer Torah. <coughs> And who are these three people we're going to learn? On the right is the greatest person in the congregation. The middle is going to be the Chazin. So the Chazin could be whoever he is. On the right is the greatest person and on the The left left is the second second greatest. And these now create a bet din that are going to say we as the bet din, allow even people that perhaps in in a different scenario the court would say they can't. Today everyone should join us. This moment is so special. This moment of unity is so special. Actually, we say it's a custom to buy the merit to um, open the ark and take out the safer Torah. And this moment is so special, we're going to learn that it's appropriate to go and actually kiss the Torah and, and in addition to kissing it and even hug it. It's mm. a quote from the, from the kids. It's a very special moment. Let's now re- read it back inside. So the head of the congregation removes the Sefer Torah from the Aaron Kodesh and circles the bima with it. The men hug and kiss the Sefer Torah. While you're hugging and kissing it, it's also an important moment for you to ask forgiveness and atonement for having slighted the honor of the Torah. It's a day of, it's a day of judgment. It's a day of, and therefore it's a moment when you're hugging and kissing the Torah to really think and ask forgiveness for, for how I've respected the Torah this year. And we know that according to Halacha what is forgiveness if you want to do Teshuvah repentance is not about the past it's about the future so at the same moment of asking forgiveness you accept upon yourself from this day and onward to follow in its ways step number one is we've taken out the Torah everybody kisses it and hugs it and asks forgiveness and commits for the coming year to follow the Torah any questions? step number two They then recite the verse Orah Zeru'a Latzadik. Light is sown for the righteous several times. The one holding the Sefer Torah then stands with the Sefer Torah next to the Chazan on his right. And another distinguished member of the congregation stands next to the Chazan on his left also holding a Sefer Torah. All three of them So, the two greatest people in the congregation of the Chazen recite the passage that begins in the heavenly court, Aldas HaMakom. And here we're giving permission for transgressors to join us. The Chazen, okay, so now everybody's joined us. So, step number one is bringing out the Sefer Torah. Step number two is we've had the court, allow everyone to join us. Is that inclusive, Moshe? We're quite an inclusive people. True? Yeah, everyone it, participates. The Chazen then recites the Kol Nidre three times in a familiar tune. You see, there's always been this familiar tune. Mm-hmm. And every person should quietly recite it along with the Chazen. So the Chazen says it and every per- three times and every person follows with. I don't think it's going to be mentioned here but it even says... That the Chazin should start the first time low, with the second time medium, and the third time should be the highest of the three. Okay? A court should not really operate on Yom Kippur. And because of that, Kol Nidre should have happened before Yom Kippur starts. That's why you'll see, Kol Nidre always happens before the beginning of Yom Kippur. That's what we say now. Kol nidre should begin while it is still day and it is proper for its recitation to be extended until the night. Okay? After, after the Chazim begins by reciting Baruch Hu, and the congregation has responded with Baruch Hashem Baruch Hashem Baruch Le'olam Va'ed You then return the Sefer Torah to the Ark and everybody returns to their place. Our personal custom is we return the to Torah before Baruchu, before Myriv starts. On Shabbos, you return the to Sefer Torahs even before Myriv begins. Before you begin Mitzmor Shir Yom HaShabbos. Okay, so let's recap. Number one, number one is you. We say we we take out the Sefer Torahs. We kiss them. We show respect to them. Ask for forgiveness. We then set up a quorum of a betin of three Inviting every single Jew to come to this prayer We say Kol Nidre three times And the Torahs are then returned to the place Section number one Any questions? Section number two We're now going to talk about the Shecheyanu Normally we say Shecheyanu when? On us normal Yom Tov? In Kiddush On Yom Kippur we don't have Kiddush We don't drink so when will we say the, Yom, Yom, the shehachianu? Now this question does not apply for women because because women sure. say it when they're uh, when candles. they're saying it when they like candles and on Yom Kippur equally they like candles. So this question is a question primarily for people. I'm not going to say men because men also at times like candles. So the question is for people that don't like candles. When should they say shehachianu on Yom Kippur? When the t- when the Chazin recites the She'achiyan blessing, he should have... Oh, so the answer is, sorry, you say it in prayer. You say it right after Kol Nidre. Right. Now, like anything, if you're a Chazin, the Chazin means you're having everybody else in mind. So the Chazin needs to have in mind the congregation. Now, here's a little bit of a trick. The trick is the Chazin theoretically could fulfill your obligation of She'achiyan. But, I want to say the blessing myself. I want to have the merit of of saying Shekhi I also want to be able to respond to the Chazen. So how do I take care of this? So the Kitzer suggests that, and this is our custom, the Chazm says Baruch, then quickly the whole congregation says a blessing, and then the chazm concludes the blessing, so you can now answer Amen on it. Mm -hmm. Let's see that inside. When the Chazin recites a She'achiyonu blessing, he should have in mind to also exempt the congregation of their obligation to recite that blessing. Nevertheless, it is proper that one who is listening should have in mind not to be exempted with the blessing of the Chazin. If you have in mind to be exempt with the blessing of the Chazin, you can't make that blessing anymore. It would be a blessing in vain. So the Chazin is having you in mind. You have in mind not to be exempt. Rather, he should quietly recite the blessing himself and hasten to finish the blessing before the chazm so, so that he may respond with amen to the chazan's Sheikh Woman who, who already recited the Sheikh blessing when lighting the candles, as well as a man who lit the candles and recited the Sheikh blessing then, should not recite the blessing again at this time. But should say amen. But, what? but should say amen. Absolutely, absolutely. Amen, you could say as many times as comes your way. Actually, you should, yes. Good to go? Sheachianu blessing is said. The Chazan leads us, but you should try to say it on your own. Let's just re-say this. If the Chazan already said the Sheachianu blessing and you said Amen, you should not anymore make your own Sheachianu. Okay. We're like an angel. And there's two things we do, like angels on Yom Kippur. One of them is, we say out loud on Yom Kippur, Baruch Shem, Kivod, Malchusel, Vad. Right after the Shema, normally we whisper. We say, Shema Yisrael, Shema Lekin, or Shema and we whisper, Baruch Shem. On Yom Kippur, Baruch Shem is, is a secret Moshe heard from the angels, so we whisper it. But on Yom Kippur, we say it loud because we ourselves are angels. We dress in white like angels. Let's see that inside. On both Yom Kippur night and day, after yeah, so we say the Shema, we recite, Baruch Shem, Kevod Malchusel, Olam Vad. Blessed is the name of his glorious kingdom for all eternity. Allowed. Number four. A second item we do like angels. Devil, let's keep the door closed, please. A second thing we do like angels is angels always stand. Angels are not able to sit. Not, I shouldn't say they're not able. Angels do not sit. Angels stand. So, how many feet do angels have? One. How do, what do we do every day because of that? We, when we do Shmon Esrei, we put our feet together. And interesting, actually, Moshe Feinstein says that some people, when they do Shmon Esrei, they just put their heels together and not the top of their feet. Well, actually, he says that angels, the tips the top of their feet are also together. So not only the tips should be together by the Shmon Esrei, but we should try and keep our whole foot together like an angel. So, Angels stand, and if we're going to be like an angel, we're going to try and stand. So we're going to learn, ideally, you should try and stand the whole Yom Kippur. However, if we'll have the slightest effect on your concentration or your health, better to sit down. Let's see that inside. No, Not while you're sleeping. Thank you, I appreciate you. Yes, we're talking primarily here about prayer. Some people stand on their feet throughout the entire service of the Mayrath prayer and the entire day of Yom Kippur as well. If they feel weak, they may lean on something. Hmm. This is an interesting law, because actually we discussed this. There's a whole section in Halakha that discusses when you need a stand, how much can you lean and still be considered standing? The law is actually the amount that if someone pulled it out from you, you would still be able to catch yourself. If you're leaning enough that you would fall down, you're not leaning. So here, that's what halacha says, that if you feel weak, you could lean on something. Why do we stand? The reason for standing is to emulate the angels who do not sit. And therefore women are not required to stand. Generally we say that angels are characterized as male. One who stood once for the duration of Yom Kippur with the intention of doing so every Yom Kippur for his entire life and after that Yom Kippur the next year he realizes that it wasn't such a smart move requires annulment of vows to permit him to sit during the Yom Kippur davening. This is an important halafa. Let's review and we'll... So, there's a custom to stand throughout the entire Yom Kippur if it won't affect your concentration to be honest most people do sit I personally am not familiar I don't recall seeing someone who stood the entire Yom Kippur but if you're up for the challenge go for it that's that's pretty easy to stand now I know someone oh I can stand 10 hours a day I don't like sitting down there you go you sit down but I can't sit down now well if the rabbi says sit down the rabbi you have to listen to the rabbi yeah, yeah. so I want to be clear here I'm not arguing with the rabbi no, yeah, yeah. <coughs> when you're why do we stand like angels who stand and don't sit and then we learn that if you did it once with the intention to do it your whole life it's now considered a vow this is an important item something you did holy one time and had intention to do it as if you made a vow like it's as if you verbalized it for example, if you had an if, if you, I'll tell you even if you in your mind said I'm going to give charity, even in your mind, that may be a vow. You need to talk to you need to talk to a rabbi. And I didn't mean only charity. <laughs> I, mean, I meant to say anything holy. Hmm. If you in your mind said I'm going to do such and such, that may be a vow itself. So as it's three times for secular things then. Three times for items that you have no further intention of. So if you go ahead, and for three y- years on Yom Kippur you stood without intention to standing the next oh. year, now, you've made a, now it's as if you've committed to it. Here we mentioned where you stood one Yom Kippur with the intention to do it for, for the coming years. Number five. Um, yes. Forgive me, in, in number four, um, Sephardim have the custom during, um, during prayer, they don't, they don't bow, especially during the um, Shimon, es, Shimon Esri, they don't bow, to, also to emulate the behavior of angels. Is this the custom on Yom Kippur, also not to, not to bow unless you uh, come to a place? Also to the so let me it. clarify the question. Yeah. And I'm not familiar with it, so I need to clarify. Are you saying that the Sephardim don't bow even at the times that you're required to bow? No, during Shimon Esri, so some some people have the custom during the entire Shimon Esri. Got it got, it, got it, got it. Yes, kind of yes, yes, yes. I understand the question. Yeah. So, you're, so you're saying, would that be something appropriate on Yom Kippur not to uh, have that back and forth movement? Right. So there's an important rule we have, which is something that's not stated, um, we're not going to take upon ourselves. So it's not stated here, and I would say that that's not something that's a custom uh-huh. um, that I'm familiar with. Uh-huh. It, it could be written elsewhere, but um, it's not something mentioned here. Good thank general you. rule, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Actually, just today I, I came upon it again, so that's why you reminded me of it. Mm. Moshe, one more halacha. You're good. You're good, You ready? No, I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. now we're going to learn about preparing for the night, and there's two things that are going to come. Number one is yeah, not much to do at home, and therefore, not not therefore. That's a. But b is some people have the custom to stay until the whole night and say prayers, say uh, Tehillim. So we're going to talk about appropriate methods of sleeping in a shul. That's number one. And number two is, it's extremely important. Halacha discusses, we know that there's a general rule that a person should try, not a person, a person should work very hard not to have a, a discharge at night. On Yom Kippur, it's extremely important. And it's so important that we actually do two things. We say a prayer that has two separate symbolic items to assist us in making sure that that doesn't happen. Let's see that inside. Some have the custom to stay overnight in the synagogue on Yom Kippur and to recite songs and praises to Hashem all night. Okay. Now some of us can't stay up the whole night, so if you need to sleep, you should distance yourself from the Arun Kodesh. It wouldn't be appropriate that the, Arun, the Torah is right there and you're sleeping. Then why you have, no. Now, I do want to mention the Shalah tells us that if you're going to focus better this the next day, it's better to go home and go to sleep. In other words, when the kisser is telling us items, in previous generations we had more strength. That's why, if you remember, by Erev Rosh Hashanah we spoke about some people have the custom to fast. Some of these customary fasts, not halakhic fasts, fasts and and, uh, items so that could reduce our focus, we don't do today. Okay. So, if you're going to sleep in the Shul, you should distance yourself from the Aaron Kodesh. The Chazin actually has a special halacha. He should not stay awake, for this will cause harm to their voices. Okay. So, some of the classes to stay up all night and say Tehillim or stay as long as they can, and they could sleep in the shul, but remove yourself from the hour Kodesh. If you're a chazan, do not stay up. We want you to have your voice for the next day. Before lying down to sleep, once you recite the first four chapters of Tehillim, for they are spiritually beneficial in preventing seminal discharge, God forbid. Why? What's helpful about these four chapters? And I'm going to go bring it. Till and for us to look inside. If we could open up to the first four chapters, this is because these Psalms contain 306 words altogether. And when added to the four Psalms, sorry about that, and when added to the four Psalms themselves, how much do we have? Now we have the total 310. Okay, so if you have 306 words in the first four psalms, and then you have the four psalms themselves included, we have 310. And that is the same numerical value as the word carry, seminal discharge. So by going ahead and having think these four prayers, that have 306 words and four equal, they are now protection against such a discharge. A second reason that these four, verse, these four psalms are helpful, additionally, the numerical value of letters at the beginning and end of the four psalms totals 126. And if we include the four psalms and the unit, we'll discuss it in a second, they now total 131, which is the numerical value of the name Samuel. Samuel is the name of an angel associated with forces of evil. So before we continue, let's just do this together ourselves for a second. Let's better understand what we're saying. I'm not going to ask you to count the words of the four psalms. But 306 plus 4 is 310, which is the numerical value of the word carry. Kuf is 100, Reish is 200, we're up to so far. 300 and Yud is 310. That is a protection from, God forbid, having a carry on this night. Additionally, ne- but this we could do together. The first letter of the first yeah. chapter is Aleph. The last is Dalet. How much are we up to so far? Five. Five. Lamed is thirty and Vav is six. Oh, no, no, I thought Dalet is three. Right? Dalet is four. Aleph pays Gimel Dalet. No, good. So we have five. The next chapter starts with a Lamid and ends with a Vav, which is thirty-six. So five and thirty-six is? Forty-one. Kay. Mem is forty, and Hey is five. Forty-five plus forty-one equals eighty-six. Lamid and Yud, the last verse, the last of the four, starts with the Lamid, which is thirty. A Yud is four. Is four, Is ten. We're up to forty. So eighty-six and forty. Let's let everybody see now. Eighty-six and forty is Okay, so let's see if we got. We counted correct. Here it says. The numerical value of letters at the beginning and end of the four psalms, total 126. Okay, our math was good, that's good. Now, we could add one more number for each of the four psalms. So now we're up to how much? hundred and thirty. And then, we could now add something which is called the unit. We could take the whole, all four together and add the number one. So now we're up to the number 131. Okay, now let's take this angel of evil, Samal, let's see how much his value is. Samach is 60. Mem is 40. Aleph is 1. Lamed is 30. Comes out to 131. Same number. So if we want to go ahead and remove this force of evil, we're going to go ahead and say these four chapters before we go to sleep. Let's see that inside again. Additionally, the numerical value of the letters at the beginning and end of the four psalms total 126. With the four psalms themselves in the unit, we now have 131, which is the numerical value of the name Samuel. Okay. So now, already, we have a focus. When we're saying these four prayers, you should concentrate to rid yourself of this angel when you're saying it. Let's conclude... How are we going to help ourselves again to make sure we don't have such a situation of a discharge? It's good not to wrap yourself with covers and pillows that warm the body. So don't make yourself too hot, and at the minimum, you should not cover your feet um, on this night. Rabbi, yes? Um, why, is the, why are the vowel pointings not provided uh, for this angel's name? In either? They're trying to show you that in our conversation, the equivalent... Um, it's not important. They Uh just want you to look at the letters Uh and and make the, uh, Uh yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and actually this is printed in the machzor. In the machzor, before you go to sleep, it actually prints to say these four songs. Let's put it all together and we'll take any questions. So we started off learning about the Kol Nidre, and it's important, the specialty of that time. We went ahead and continued talking about the Shekheyanu and how you should try and say it on your own and say Amen. We spoke about being an angel, saying Baruch Shem Kelom HaChusli Olam out loud and standing on your feet. And we concluded talking about saying some Tehillim, which, I, I, you know, what I didn't mention this. There is a custom and actually like in 770 in Chabad headquarters and in many synagogues, um, they say the entire Tehillim right after the prayer. So people stay and say the entire Tehillim for about an hour and a half and then they go home. So this, the idea of saying till him you, you could do it in your respective house once you get home, but that's, it's certainly an appropriate thing. And we concluded learning about different um, things we could do to prevent ourselves from having something unholy happen at night. Are there any questions? Chas what? Chas shalom. Chas shalom. thank you. Any questions? The Sephardim usually take till midnight to wrap up everything, and then they would have to be back 8 o'clock in the morning because it's such a long service. And there's auctions, and there's, you know, fundraising, all of that. So it's a pretty long... Yes, concert. yes, yes. It goes till midnight. And then the next day begins at 8 o'clock in the morning. People don't show up till, like, 10. But, um... The two holiest things to bid for on Yom Kippur, there's a lot of bidding. It's actually like a custom. Is kol nidre, as we mentioned. And the other item is n'ilah. Opening the ark for the last moment of n'ilah in many shuls could go... F- oh, actually, I missed the third. Sorry. Kol nidre the ilah is a very high moment. And the third actually is um, for Maftir Yona To be called up for the Maftir of Yona by Mincha. Yeah, that's, pretty easy. Um, that's actually the most expensive item. That could go in some synagogues for... Yeah, it goes on thousands. thousands. It could go for more than thousands. Depends on the we'll congregation. See. And the reason is that actually there's a custom that if you get Maftir Yona, it's a blessing for, for wealth and health very high blessing. Any other questions? Yeah, one thing. Yes. Is there any laws about when you can blow the Shofar? That's a very good question, actually. Are there, there any laws? There are, yes, yes. So when? It should be at the end of Yom Kippur. Okay. For what time? Right. You know what? I'm not going to answer that question. I think there's even customs within mm-hmm. the law. So are you asking in, in Chabad? Or are you asking... No, uh, like, I'm asking the real law that's written on stone. I, so I... Don't let, let me see quickly if I find it, may it not here. Laws, right? What is that? What you're holding for here? Here's what the Shulchan Aruch says in chapter 133, number 26. It says. You could blow the shofar even though the, it's, um, Yom Kippur is not yet over. But it should be B'en Hashmashot, which means it should be after sunset before dusk. Between that time period you could do it. But not after dusk. After dusk, of course, you could blow it. Because, it's, it's well, no, Yom, because it's so Yom Kippur is over. But you're still, you're, you are still within Yom Kippur. The concern is you're not allowed to blow the Shofar on a Shabbos or a holiday. Rosh Hashanah is an exception. Yom Kippur, we're saying, you could blow it as long as the day of Yom Kippur has passed and it's just the time between sunset and dusk. But after dusk, you would certainly be able to blow So can blow you extend the service yes. after dusk? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, that's not customary. People are fasting, but yes, yes, yes. Any other questions? No. Have a wonderful day. Gemarka, Shema